0: Our study today is entitled, Mind and Purpose. Mind and Purpose. Who here has a mind? Okay. Who here uses their mind? Yeah. Sometimes I think we just feed our mind, but we don't actually use it. We don't put it into practice, you know, whatever's going on in there. Um, We're kind of living in a time where everybody is like, we sit there and we want to be entertained um we feed our mind with the the news feeds on our phones um the the feeds on cp24 at the bottom of the screen you know we're living off headlines and um, we're just constantly bombarded with all these messages um throughout the day maybe you listen to the radio and you're you're hearing all the news on the radio whatever it is maybe you don't like the news because it's so depressing sometimes you'd rather watch netflix or disney plus all right? And you sit there and you're just consuming, feeding your mind, all this stuff. and our mind gets lazy. It gets really lazy.? Okay? Um, let's look at it this way. How many of you like to eat? Great. Good. Holidays are coming, guys. This is the time to like eat. All right? And you know how it is when you like. you just keep eating and eating, and you just eat some more and eat some more and it tastes good and it just sits in you, but you don't use that energy that's going into your body. What happens? You feel tired, you feel lazy, you don't want to move. All you want is the next bite of food, right? I know, I struggle with this and I learned something, guys. When you take something in, that food, it should nourish your body so you have energy to go do stuff, right? I finally learned that lesson this year, praise God. Right? Just this year, I'm, I'm almost 40, and I finally learned my lesson. But now I'm going into 40, you know, with, with a different outlook. You know, physically, if all we're doing is taking in food, and we're not using it properly or putting it to good use, what's the point of sitting there eating? You know? Same thing with our mind, guys. It's like we'll sit there, and we'll consume everything this world has to offer, fill our mind, but we don't do anything with it. It's like we're satisfied just knowing that we know things, right? Even with the Bible, I think we do this. We, we read through the Bible. We try and consume as much of it as possible, but it's all up here. It's just head knowledge, and we don't really get the, the nourishment from it. We don't use the energy that we get from this life-giving word, and we become spiritually lazy, okay? Mind and purpose. What is the purpose, what is your purpose in life? We're going to be looking at a few passages today, and our first section is called The Importance of the Mind in Scripture. And We're just going to be looking at a few of these verses, Matthew 22, verse 37.
1: Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind.
0: So loving God with all of our mind, like what does that look like, you know? Any, any suggestions? Like loving God with all your heart. You might be like, oh, I'm so devoted to God. I love him. I feel good about God and all my desires are for God and his kingdom. Okay. Love God with all of your soul, your whole being. But it also says love God with all of your mind. What does that look like? Like, Jesus was replying to a Pharisee testing him that asked him, Rabbi, what would you say is the greatest commandment? And this is what Jesus replied. Love God with all this. He didn't say love God with all your heart and a little bit of your mind. He didn't say love God with just bits and pieces of you at a time, whenever you feel like it, or whenever it's convenient. He said love God with all that you are, with your whole being. In the Old Testament, it also said love God with all your strength, with everything that you do. Do it all for the honor and glory of God, okay? To love God with all of our mind, I think it has something to do with devotion, right? I think it has to do with, let's read a little bit more here. How do you love God with all your mind? Is it merely an intellectual awareness of who God is, what he stands for, and what he has done? This commandment to love God requires an allness of self. Everybody say allness. I made up the word. Okay, allness of self in submission and surrender to God's sovereign rule and reign over our whole being. Okay? With all that you are. The importance of the mind in scripture. We look at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2. We always hear the second part of this verse, right? Let's go back to that first verse. When we look at this, it gives us the purpose. It gives us the why. Why shouldn't we be conformed to the pattern of this world? So that we could offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember, the sacrifices in the temple time, it needed to be pure, it needed to be clean, it needed to be set apart. No blemish, no stain, it had a purpose and its purpose was to be offered up as a sacrifice. But here, this is a living sacrifice. So what it's saying is, if you wanna be living this good life for use in God's kingdom, then your life is one where you shouldn't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Instead be what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of the mind, okay? A Christian that has given their heart to God and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life and welcomed his spirit to lead and guide them may still question, why do I keep thinking of these evil worldly things that oppose God? The renewing of the mind is an ongoing moment-by-moment process, isn't it? It's a, a constant renewing of the mind. It's not a one-time thing where you said, okay, I love Jesus, I give him my mind and now everything's done. No, there's still some sort of like a, a personal accountability and responsibility. There's still a work, a working out in our life that has to happen and this takes place right here in our mind. You could give your heart to something and be devoted to it, but your mind is still the one that's making those decisions, making those choices. When you choose to follow God, you made that decision somewhere. It's what we call the soul. You have your heart, you have your mind, the heart full of its its passions and desires. You have your mind, the one that could be thoughtful about things and make judgments. And then you have your soul. Okay, the soul is like the core of your being, where the heart and the mind work together. You have the soul. And it's from the soul that we live out our convictions. Everything you do, it's not just what's in your heart, you do, right? Some people say, I have a heart to go sell everything and move to Australia. But my mind says, that's not a smart thing to do right now. So somewhere in my soul, I make a decision. I have to work with both my heart and my mind and come up with some sort of decision. So it's from our soul, guys, that's what tells us this is where you're going to go, this is what you're going to do, this is how you're going to live, okay? What is your soul's desire today? Do you desire the things of God and his kingdom? Do you desire to escape hell? (laughs) What are your desires? Does it have anything to do with God at all? Maybe not. That's okay. But it comes to this renewing of the mind that is so important, you see. If your heart says, I love Jesus and I want to follow him, but your mind leads you to other things aside from God, there's some major dissonance going on in your body, isn't it? And there's some soul identity stuff that you are probably struggling with. I know I struggle whenever I go to this place. My heart says, I love Jesus, I wanna follow him, but my mind says, but I wanna do this other stuff first. Let's go do this, it's easier right now, you know? And then your soul is in conflict, in your inner being. I like this one thing that John Piper said, it's in our, our sidebar, it says, if a person doesn't move, from intellectual awareness of God and right thinking about God to an emotional embrace of God, he hasn't loved God with his mind. The mind has not yet loved until it hands off its thoughts to the emotions where they are embraced. And then the mind and the heart are working in what feels like such harmony, and you experience it as both intellectual and affectional love for God. Some people love God with their affections, but they don't care to know his word. They live off the songs because the songs give them a warm and fuzzy feeling. Oh, it's true, I'm not alone, there's another in the fire. God's there for me, he's saving me, and it feels good. And we love God with our heart because we're responding to this about God. Oh, I'm not alone, I'm not alone, good for me, but do you know his truth? Do you know his word? The mind is important, friends. You could follow anything with your heart, but the heart is deceitful above all things. It could lead you to anything. It's the very thing that pulls us away from God because the world says, listen, guys, there's still some fun to be had here, and they play on our heart, on our emotions. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world the mind is very important so how do we do that how do we renew our mind what are we supposed to do with it let's look at Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 and 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18
1: since then you have been raised with Christ set your hearts on things above where Christ is at the seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things above not on earthly things for you died, and your life is now hidden in, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal.
0: So what are you setting your mind on? Okay. Um, this past year, I made a confession. I actually... Um, I have been a Raptors fan this whole time, but I didn't like people knowing it. I was, I was a little embarrassed because my team wasn't winning anymore, they, but last year they won. So now I'm an out loud Raptors fan. I believe it, okay? Um, watch I watched the game, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. You know, but you, you watch the game and um, because it's important to me, you see, it, it's somewhat important to me. During a, a certain period of time in the evening, I tell my kids, listen, the game's on at 7.30. Let's all sit down on the couch and watch the game together. (laughs) I'm saying, let's set our mind on the Raptors, kids, so there's no more distractions in the house. Imagine if my kids are running around while I'm watching the game, something's going to happen in the house. When something happens in the house, guess what happens? My attention is divided. I'm split. I can't leave the game. I have to go tend to my kid's diaper. I'm like, no, we're going to sit here and just deal with all year, kids. Setting your mind on things that matter to you, right? If it's important, you'll make time for it. It's in, if it's important, there's an investment. There's a, you give it your attention, you give it your headspace, And that's how it is with God. We need to be focused on the things of God and of his kingdom. It's not saying don't think about anything in the world at all, but just don't give it such a priority. Okay, there are more important things in life than what nail color should I use this week Mm, called out, <laughs> ladies. There's a lot of reaction in the room. See, with guys, we say, oh, you know, I'm thinking of going with this phone or that phone, but, but we justify it because we say it's a big investment, so I just wanna make sure I'm putting my money to the right thing. But still, we do it, like we're consumed sometimes doing our homework, which phone's best, which car is best, you know, and we think about these things. And it's okay to think about these things as long as it's not taking up all your headspace. Do these things in the world distract you from what God wants you to focus on, right? Sometimes it might even be finding a mate, you know? Um, I'm gonna be like this, I'm gonna be like that, I, I, I wanna go to this place because I know they have these sort of girls and guys over there, so. And you try to behave a certain way and you change yourself so you would be accepted by another human being and then the person finds out who you really are. I think what we, we struggle with mostly, the things that plague our mind and distract us are our fears, right? Um, we, we need security. So if we're feeling insecure about something, maybe it's work, maybe it's money, maybe it's relationships, whatever it is, whatever we feel insecure about, um, we, we live in such a way to try and keep ourselves feeling safe, right? um acceptance right we need that verification or validation from other people all the messages that we live by all the things that we allow to rule our life in the the way that we make our decisions the way we choose to conduct ourselves um, all these old messages and tapes play in our mind and that's also very important because renewing of the mind is not listening to those voices anymore but allowing god's voice to rule and reign in your life. So submission to God means I'm breaking down all that other stuff. I'm letting that stuff go. Let that be pushed out of me and let God fill you with his truth, fill you with his spirit. See, his spirit whispers the secret things of God to us so we can know him and we could know his heart, okay? Yes? Please God and not people, absolutely. Okay, and that's purpose, right? But when we don't have that purpose in our life to please God, we allow other things to become our purpose, right? And we're living for other things. What are you living for today? So we talk about setting your mind on things above, setting your mind on things unseen, but what are these things? Okay, this is a verse that we always read, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and we're going to add verse 9 today.
1: Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you.
0: See, this passage here, This passage is not about setting up systems to avoid all non-Christian thinking. You know, I think we've been studying this verse a lot here at Praise Gathering, and I think some people just don't know what to do with it because they might feel bad, but I still think about all this other stuff. It's not about avoiding thinking about non-Christian things. Okay? What this verse is talking about is how God guards our hearts while we are free to contemplate and pay attention to these things, the true Nori pulovadex praise things. And focus our lives on pleasing God. Giving our mind to these things will help us live with a clearer purpose. Okay, and this is so important. If you don't know your purpose in life, I got to ask you, what are you living for? See, purpose is different from goals. You can have goals, many goals throughout your life, but if you have no sense of purpose, you won't know how you're gonna live out this life. You may end up just trying and doing everything and giving yourself to too many different things. God wants your mind focused. He's giving you something to focus on. He says, don't be distracted by the things of this world. Set your eyes on me. Seek me, seek my kingdom. This is what God's saying. Set your heart on me, your desires, everything that it is. Give me your life and you will find true life. Sometimes I think we say, okay, God, here's my heart, but I'm not giving you the rest of it. You know, because you're partial, right? You want to be with God, but kind of. You don't want to commit, so you don't give your whole self. You know, people that get married, you know? They date, they date some more, they finally get engaged, and they're still engaged, and they're still engaged. They're like, I love you, don't you see it? Yeah, love you so much. And they don't wanna commit. But now it's easier because there's a way out, right? So it's like, oh, when we get married, don't worry, it's not the end of of my singleness because I'm, whatever. No commitment. There's no sense of commitment. Now, I'm not ragging on anybody that's gone through stuff. I get it, right? But there is this idea of commitment, okay, that is lost on us, right? What are you committed to? What's your purpose in life? What are you giving your mind to? What are you giving your time to? Your heart might be pulled in that direction, but don't tell me you're committing. Lukewarmness. Lukewarmness. We're going to be turning to a very fun book in the Bible right now. It's the book of Revelation. Scary. yeah. The book of Revelation. There's a whole bunch of symbolism and all that stuff in this book. But in this book of Revelation, there were these letters written to the seven churches. And these seven churches represented different things. Today, we're going to be focusing on one of these churches, the church in Laodicea. And we're reading from Revelation chapter 3. And for now, verses 14 to 17.
1: To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these words are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked.
0: Shame. Shame. Let's talk about Laodicea first. What is this place? Laodicea was a wealthy town that was known as a strategic banking center. They used their own wealth to pay for the reconstruction of their city after a devastating earthquake in AD 60, rejecting offers of financial aid from Rome. The city was also famous for the soft black wool it produced and its ancient medicine, Particularly an ice salve. All three industries—finance, wool, and ice salve—came into play in this letter. Laodicea's water supply. This is important. Laodicea's water supply was also relevant to the message in this letter, as the water had to travel several miles through an underground aqueduct before reaching the city. It would get fresh, cool water from the mountain springs on one end, and from the other side, they're getting this other water, the warmer water, but by the time this warm water and this cold water travels all that way and reaches Laodicea, the water arrived foul, dirty, and tepid, lukewarm, just like some of the people in the church, okay, lukewarm, what does it mean? What is implied by this term, lukewarm? Neither hot nor cold. Just somewhere in the middle, right? But why is he talking about this? Why would God prefer that we be either hot or cold? He's using the water to bring up a point, okay? It's not saying, oh, you have to be hot for God or cold for God. It's just talking about purpose. Do you have a purpose? Because if you have no purpose, you're lukewarm. Mm -hmm. And what good are you? It's detestable that he would spit that lukewarm out of the mouth. Coffee. Anybody drink coffee, tea? Yeah? You like it hot? Yeah? And and you also like it cold. Iced coffee, iced tea, right? How about somebody gives you a cup, you're sitting there after a nice meal, Coffee, anybody? And they come out and they give you lukewarm coffee. Exactly. What good is it, you know? (laughs) Either hot or cold, but not that detestable thing in the middle that can't make up its mind of what it is. See, the lukewarm people here in Laodicea, they say that they love God, they say that they follow Christ, but they were self sufficient. They rejected any help after the city had an earthquake. They relied on their own wealth, okay? They were lukewarm. Are you hot or cold? Do you have a purpose? Okay? This isn't talking about do you love God or do you not love God? It's talking about do you have a purpose? Do you have anything that you're living for? Or are you content with being useless? look at this uh, self-sufficiency. So he talks about lukewarm, and now we're talking about self-sufficiency. There's a story in Matthew 19 about a, a rich young ruler. You remember that one? And he comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? And he says, listen, uh, Well, if you want to be saved, because at that point, they're still under the law, right? So Jesus answers, well, you have to keep the commandments, Mm -hmm. keep all the law. And the guy says, oh, well, I've done that already. And Jesus says, oh, you must be very pleased with yourself. Good. What else can I do? And he says, go now and take what you have, sell all of it and give it to the poor. This wasn't a requirement to be saved, but this is what Jesus was saying to expose to this man what's in his heart. And when the man realized, wait, sell everything that I've worked so hard for and give it to who? The poor? They don't deserve it, and in his heart, he realizes, I ha- I'm not keeping the commandments. I'm loving my wealth rather than loving God. I'm not willing to give it up. I know that I, I, I can't save myself. God. W- Jesus allowed this man to recognize, no, you can't save yourself. All the good deeds, everything you try to do, it can't save you. Okay? And he goes away feeling rejected because of his self-sufficiency and recognizing it's not enough. What makes you feel secure? What makes you feel self-sufficient, like you have it all under control and that you are okay? Is it your financial wealth? Is it your spouse? Is it your family, your status, or your position in church or in the community? What would happen if God took any of that away from you tomorrow? There you go. What would happen if the thing that makes you feel so secure in this world is taken away from you tomorrow? Will your world crumble? You know, when I was a student and I had no money, it's like, no, my world won't crumble because I have no money. I didn't rely on it. I didn't care. I didn't have much to lose. You know what I mean? I was single, you know, whatever. But then when you have something that you care about, when you have something that you just you love so much you don't want to let it go. But if God comes along and takes that away from you, is your world gonna crumble? You know? Maybe he gave you a partner, right? Someone you could really trust, someone you could really grow with, someone you could really love and fall for, you know. And you're enjoying the moments and you feel like it's such a blessing from God, and then the next day God says, Time to transplant you. I'm taking you over here. Will your world crumble? If our dependence is in God, you know, things may still get hard, but your world will not crumble if your dependence is in God. Okay? You don't rely on people for anything. You don't put your trust in people. If your trust is in God then sure, you could be very trusting with anybody. Because no matter what they do to you, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to make you crumble. You might feel bad for a little while, but it's not going to destroy you, right? But if your trust and your dependence and your reliance is on God, then no matter what goes on here in this world, no matter what other people might do or say, they could try and steal your happiness, but they cannot take away the eternal joy that's yours when you put your trust in God, okay? See, God allows us to enjoy his blessings, but they should never take his rightful place in our lives. An attitude of self-sufficiency always leads to spiritual indifference. You know, the first week when my wife and I, at, at the time, she was just my friend, and then we became engaged, and during that first week when we were engaged... I felt like, yes, I'm marrying my best friend. This is awesome. You know, and I, I was like, yes, we're gonna live together the rest of our lives, and I'm so happy. And before that, I had already devoted myself to God. And I said, God, if it's your will that I'm single for the rest of my life, I give myself to you completely. Use me whatever way you want, God. And it's you and me. I don't, I don't need anybody. I just want you, God. And I had this real passion for God and I loved him. And then Here comes this girl that I was pining after for like a year and she finally comes back and says, you know what? I like you too. And we're like, let's get married and uh, it was great for about a week. And then it was over. And you're like, well, you didn't even date. You were just friends and you got engaged. Like, You didn't really invest anything, Tim. Get over it. No, No. It's not like that. It's like, I was the happiest I was in human life possible, okay? Knowing that I was going to marry Beverly. You know, we would known each other since we were kids. And within a week, it was over. And in that moment, I shook my fist at heaven. I shook my fist at God, and I said, God, if you're really there, I hate you. It's like God allowed me to see myself in that moment. He allowed me that opportunity to be faced with myself. What was my real purpose in life? Was I just escaping to God so I could feel comfortable? Was I just escaping to God for a sense of acceptance and security? Was I just in it for myself? Because when God says, come follow me, he's not calling you to follow him so that you just feel safe. He's calling you to follow him, but he says, die to yourself. Give up your worldly passions. Give up your desires in your heart. I want to put my spirit in you, and you'll have a new spirit, and you'll have a new heart, and you'll have a new passion, a new desire, a renewed sense of purpose, and you'll have something to live for. The minute those words left my lips, God, if you're really there, I hate you. It felt like a movie, you know, where everything in the world just goes completely dark and there's nothing else around you anymore. It's just you sitting there in your nakedness, your vulnerability and your shame. But up to that point, I really didn't have my purpose yet. And God allows you to experience some blessing but that blessing should never take the rightful place of God in your life. We worship God who blesses us. We don't worship the blessings by paying lip service to God. You see? In that moment, the words leave my mouth and I felt like that light shining over me and it's just darkness around me and God had a moment with me and he said Tim I have so much more for you than this you know if I never had that moment Bev and I we probably would have gotten married had fun traveled the world did anything we wanted to do but we wouldn't be living for God and God knew that my wife had the same conversation with God you know, if this is it, if I'm just, you know what? I want to just serve you, God. I don't need anybody. But he gave us each other. Now, it's like we, we have a purpose that we live, live for, that we live by. To honor God and glorify him in all things. So guess what the enemy tries to, to do? He tries to snuff out everything that we do, everything that we're living with. He tries to throw arrows in your path so that you can't get to where God's taken you. He doesn't want you to know your purpose, friends. What hardships have come to your life this past year? Have those hardships um, distracted you from your purpose in living for God? An attitude of self-sufficiency always leads to spiritual indifference. You might not hate God the way that I did, but you just might not care anymore if you start living for something else, okay? These people in Laodicea, they were self-deceived, right? Self-deception. Do we ever deceive ourselves into believing that we have it all together and that we are in control and that we are self-sufficient. We may flatter and deceive ourselves, but God sees and he knows us as we really are. He knows our true spiritual condition. The warning here for us is to beware of spiritual blindness because an attitude of self-sufficiency will prevent us from seeing our need for Christ. You could win the lottery tomorrow, guys. You've been buying those tickets every week. You go check your numbers, and you finally get that money, and you're like, finally, I've been putting aside five bucks every week for my whole life. Finally, I get something back. You know, and it's like, yes, I won the lottery, and then you start making your plans, and this and that, and and you don't need much anymore because this money will satisfy. I always wanted to take that trip. Go take the trip. I always wanted to be comfortable in the house with a night's bed. So you get the house, you get the bed. I, I got so tired of taking the bus, so you get yourself a, a car. And you don't know how to drive, so you get yourself a driver. <laughs> comfortable, right? It's like we seek for comfort in this world. And I believe that here in North America, we have made comfort our God. Comfort and convenience has become our God. The purpose that we live for, why do you go to work? Why do you try to earn money? Why do you do all that? So you could be comfortable. So you don't have to struggle or suffer. (laughs) Suffer. (laughs) More money, more problems. Yeah. Headaches. Don't deceive yourselves, friends. You are not self-sufficient. You're not like, okay, I'm going to get up this week. I'm going to put in my hours. I'm going to get paid, and then I'm going to go do my thing. And you're like, I don't need anything else because I'm providing everything. When I'm healthy and I could go to work, I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to get what's mine, self-sufficient. Somebody tries to give you something because they think, oh, it looks like you're having a hard time. And you're like, no, I don't need your pity. I don't need your sympathy. No, I could do it myself. You know, Don't deceive yourselves. The people in Laodicea were deceived. You see what Jesus told them there? Remember, this message, these words in Revelation, these are the words of the, the amen. They are the words of the one in charge of all creation. These are the words of Jesus Christ to the churches. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? When we become aware of our spiritual condition today, it might look good on some days, but let's just talk about today, okay? What's your spiritual condition like today? do you identify with anything that's going on here in Revelation 3? Okay? You might not feel wretched, pitiful, and poor because you're doing something to make something of yourself. Because you compare yourself to other people that have less than you to make yourself feel good about yourself. And then you compare yourself to those that have more and then you feel bad for yourself. (laughs) Stop comparing, okay? Your lot in life is your lot in life, okay? Do the best with it that you can. Trust God with your lot in life. If God said, Tim, you're going to be poor this year, I'll be like, okay, I'll be poor. You know, if it's my lot in life, God said, I'm giving you special needs children. And I love my kids. You have no idea how much I love my kids. The fact that there's special needs makes me remember and recognize that I need God. I need his help. God saying, Tim, stop trusting in yourself. You think that you know how to do it all. If it takes this, that I have to give you special needs children so that you remember you have to talk to me and rely on me, I'm going to do it, you know? There's nothing wrong with special needs children. They're a gift from God, right? They've been given a special lot in life as well. I believe God has a purpose for that as well. The things that you tend to complain about in life, you sit there and you complain and you wish for other things. And then you finally get those other things and you sit there and you complain about those things. And then it's a vicious cycle, right? That's what that lukewarmness looks like. You're expecting everything to work out for you, but here's the wake-up call, friends. Life is not about you. You exist to glorify God, not yourself. Stop living for vainglory. Stop living for your own comfort. Stop making yourself the center of the universe. It's not about you. So get your mind off yourself and point it outward. Set your mind on things above and set your eyes on things unseen. Take your physical life and join it with God's invisible spirit and allow his spirit to move you where he wills. Revived with a mind-filled purpose. Let's continue reading the rest of Revelation chapter 3, verses 18 to 20.
1: I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see.
0: Let's stop there. Be rich spiritually, okay? Instead of storing up material wealth, we should go to God for spiritual riches that come through Christ alone. It's interesting here how Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from where? From me. Now, what God gives us, we cannot buy. It's a gift that he gives us. But what he's pointing out to this self-sufficient people, these self-deceived people, he's saying an exchange needs to happen. If you come to me, I will make you spiritually rich, but there needs to be an exchange of some sort. You give up the way you've been doing things. You give up your desires and your self-sufficiency and your self-deception. There's a transaction, and I will give you gold refined in the fire so you could become rich. Gold that's refined in the fire, it's pure. Remember, and God could only use pure things for his kingdom purposes. So before he uses you, he wants to clean you first. Before he uses you, he's going to let you go through the fire. But he goes there with you. And he carries you through fire and storm and flood. He carries you through all the hard times in life. And he's fixing up your character, friends. He's transforming you as you renew your mind by setting your mind on the things above, by putting your mind on his kingdom. He's making you new. the people in Laodicea remember black wool that was their fine material he's saying don't put on your black wool garments he's saying put on something white right? it represents righteousness good works it's symbolic of righteous conduct that covers over our spiritual nakedness so he says listen this is your spiritual condition right God's not judging you. He's not condemning you. He's just helping you see yourself. You are wretched and pitiful and this and that, but I'm not leaving you there, he says. He says, you need what I have. So come and buy from me these things. Exchange what you think you need, okay? Oh, Christmas time's coming. Anybody go Christmas shopping yet? No? Good. Good. Don't go rushing out. You don't have to worry. Okay. You know, sometimes you buy a whole bunch of stuff because you're not sure what you're going to give people, right? And uh, they give you the, those little receipts, gift receipts. And they say, you know, if you don't want it, don't worry. You, you could always exchange it and get the right thing. Right? Why do you exchange it? It's the wrong thing. You don't need it. There's no purpose for it anymore. So you exchange it and then you get the right thing. Same thing with God. We go to him with whatever we have, and anything that you've relied on before, it's the wrong thing. You don't need it anymore. So exchange it. And then God will give you what you really need. Right? So even shopping could be a spiritual lesson. eh? Especially when you shop online. All right? Always go with the ones that have free returns. Because you hardly ever get what you really want. And then he talks about, instead of eye salve from the Laodicean alchemist, we need spiritual eye salve to open our spiritual eyes to see things from God's perspective. Okay? We always pray, God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear and a heart that's receptive to your leading let's look at verse 19 be repentant
1: those whom i love i rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent
0: god disciplines those that he loves be zealous and wholeheartedly repent not half-hearted what does it mean to repent It means to completely turn away from. It means a total change of direction. Okay, I think sometimes we we treat repentance like this. Um, You're doing this, you're having fun over here, and all of a sudden it says, okay, repent, God's here. So you turn to God. You keep looking over your shoulder because it's still there. You haven't repented, but you're like, no, set your eyes on Jesus. Okay. But where's your ears when you're looking at Jesus? Is to the sides, right? It could still capture anything. So to love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind means we need to completely turn away this way, okay? Completely turn away so you don't see it, you don't hear it, you don't need it, you don't want to go back to it, you just leave it there. Repent. And then God says, and when you repent, I will discipline you. I don't want to be disciplined. Life was better before I came to God. Now it's so hard. By show of hands. How many of us here accepted Jesus, let's be honest, because we thought life was going to get better or easier? Be honest, guys. Easier? Yeah, because you wanted life to get easier. You accepted Jesus. Because that's what they say. That's what they tell you. God will give you a better life. So we're, we're in it for the blessings. We're in it for whatever else might come from God. But we don't really want God. We just want that better life. Comfort. Huh, saved. What does that even mean, you know? In the Philippines, they call the washroom the comfort room, the CR. And if you stay there too long, you stink. (laughs) Yeah, you know, when I went to the Philippines, man, I had a hard time because I needed to know where the washroom was. And they're all saying CR, CR, and I'm like, I don't know what you're saying, man. (laughs) I thought it was Tagalog or something messed me up let's get back to a discipline here sometimes it takes discipline and god's reproof to shake us out of our little complacency out of our indifference and out of our lukewarmness right god allows bad things to happen if that's what it takes to get our attention if our mind is set on other things god loves you so much he wants to hang out with you he says listen yo i'm over here but where's your mind said on other things. So he says, repent, turn away from. Be zealous and repent, turn away from. And you're going to understand, I'm going to discipline you because I love you. I'm going to teach you the way I want you to live. I'm going to teach you all the things that are good for you because I love you. A father that doesn't discipline his children doesn't really love his children. A father that just tries to be best friends with his kid is just a big kid. He's not a father. He might have been a sperm donor or something, but he's not dad. A good father, because he loves his children, will train them up in the way that they ought to go. He will teach them the way of the Lord. He will teach them to do what's right. Okay? Because God loves us, he will not allow us to go down a path that leads to hell. And hell is simply the absence of God. Really, isn't it? I'm not going to try to scare you with pitchforks and fire. It's just the absence of God. Revelation 3, verse 20.
1: Tim, can I just share just one thing before you go on? Sure. When you talk about discipline, one thing I learned this year so a lot of you know like this last year and and actually the year before I lost a lot of weight I lost close to 40 pounds in total and before that even before that I was running in these races the 10 K the half marathon and um, my time was like really slow but I wanted to do it I saw my friends were doing it and I know I could be healthy doing it and when I think of like this this year after I had lost all the weight and it was my first time running after losing the weight, and my times were way better than before. And it's not from practice, it's from simply being healthier. When I ran the the half marathon, the first time I ran it, it took me almost three hours, two hours and 53 minutes. This time here, it's not because I trained a lot, I, I trained really quickly, but I caught off almost 30 minutes from my time, this time running it, and it's simply because I didn't have the weight. And when I think of it, the discipline that God was giving me before, it wasn't punishment. Mm-hmm. The discipline was not having that health, right? Mm-hmm. And when when, like, we're disciplined, it's just, it's not God trying to punish us. It's the natural consequences yeah. of what we're doing. I lived an unhealthy lifestyle, and I was running slower, and I was suffering, right? And I was always the last one in the race, right? But when I got rid of those unhealthy habits, and I was able to to lose that weight. It's not, you know, we turn to God, and he disciplines us because of those things. The discipline is the consequences of our own actions, and when you finally let those things go, discipline is not a bad thing. Discipline is telling you, this is what happens when you don't live the way that I'm telling you to live, right? And the discipline is just, it could be better, right? It's just a reminder that life could be better, and once you go through those things. It's not discipline. It's that correction. It's, you know, that pointing to life is, is supposed to be better than this. That's Don't right. live this way. Don't keep punishing yourself. It's not really God punishing us. It's us allowing ourselves to be punished and continually to choose those things. And it's when we understand that, I, I didn't understand it until I, I experienced, yeah. life could be better, right? Yeah. And it's not until you make that choice and you do those things that you can experience yeah. the better life that God has for you. Hey Amen. That's
0: good. You know, I like that. You know, the way I look at discipline is really just learning lessons. Mm-hmm. Learning lessons. My kids do something wrong and, you know, they're afraid. Oh no, someone said spank him. You don't know, no. know. I just want you to learn your lesson, kid. You know. God just wants you to learn your lesson. And if you keep Making the same decisions over and over, have you really learned your lesson, you know? It feels like discipline when, when we don't learn our lessons, All right. Okay, we're looking here at Revelation 3, verse 20. Be responsive.
1: Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me.
0: Jesus knocking at the door, is this an invitation to the gospel or an invitation to fellowship with Jesus Christ? Is this addressed to believers or to non-believers? Perhaps it's to both. It says, whoever, anyone who hears my voice and opens the door will enjoy fellowship with me. The purpose in life, friends. The reason we were created and created in the image of God was to know him and make him known. It's to live a life of worship, okay? He created us as worshipers. Why do we struggle so much with following God? Because there's something in our human nature, it's built up so that we will worship something. Anything. And if you don't know what you're worshiping, you're like that lukewarm. What good are you? You watch basketball? Who's your team? <laughs> Better be the Raptors, man. All <laughs> right? My... my My brother-in-law and my sister, they love football. Well, they don't love football. They just love the Patriots. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. There's a difference, yeah? Go Pats, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) You know, I know some Christians that are so hell-bent on their own denomination that they lord it over everybody else, Mm -hmm. and they don't see other Christians as their brother and sister they treat them like they are less, they feel superior to others, and judgment starts spewing out of their mouth and it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart because it's like, no, you're behaving like this Laodicea church. You're behaving like you say you love Christ, but you're hiding out in church with your programs and you think that that's what God wants. You're all self-sufficient you know, with all these fun things that you're doing in church and taking pictures and posting it on Facebook to show the world, look how much fun we have in our four walls. (laughs) Won't the whole world come into our small building with four walls and lukewarm? What's the real purpose? Are you serving yourself and your reputation or are you serving and living for God's glory? Our life purpose, friends, if you don't have a purpose in life, what the Bible says our purpose is, is to worship God. That's it. How can you worship him if you don't know him? How do you get to know him? You set your mind on him. Give him your, all, give him your allness. Everything that you are, everything that you have, your whole being, your very breath. Give him your past with all of its, its hurts. Give him your present with what you're able to do now. And trust him with your future. Just put it all in his hands because there's no safer place. There's no better place. And let him use you for his kingdom purposes. It's my prayer, friends. It's my prayer that you will all, every day, wake up with a greater sense of purpose for God's kingdom. It's my prayer that day by day, you will continue to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's my prayer that your heart hungers and thirsts for God. May you all live as slaves of righteousness.
1: May you all live for God's glory.